trying to gather myself forgive me if i didn't have to preach i'd just stay on the floor for an hour psalm 27 13 just one verse in your reading today I'll get to the entirety of it but I have to begin at the second to the last verse of the psalm verse 13 David writes I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Amen. Somebody speak his name. Come on, speak his name. It's a powerful name. You're invoking all the attributes of the great king, immortal, invisible, the only wise God when you speak his name, Jesus. Come on, say it. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Uh, I thank you. Would you put your Bibles down behind you? And I know I'm I'm asking you to do a lot, but would you just clap your hands one more time before we... Thank you, and you may be seated. It's been some years ago now that a man was praying for another man. A minister was praying for an individual who was struggling with an illness. There were many people around the altar. They were pressing toward the front. The minister was among other ministers, and he was putting his hands on people and seeking God on their behalf, but he was a little confused. He prayed for a gentleman and had heard of the issue, so he prayed according to the issue. He thought the man had a kidney problem. But, in fact, the man's kidneys were fine. And later the man said, when the minister started praying for me and for my kidneys to be healed, I thought, "Uh uh-oh, I thought it was just my heart. (laughs) The next week when he went into the doctor... And he ran some tests. The doctor cleared him of all of his heart conditions. And the physician said that he couldn't really figure it out, but no surgery was needed. And he, in fact, took him off of all of his heart medication. God healed him of his heart condition, but the prayer was for his already fully functioning kidneys. 
So I ask you, how did that happen and why did it happen? Nothing was said about the need. The prayer was prayed for some other issue that did not exist. The need was the heart. The rest of him was working well. There was no prayer for the need, yet within the week, some five days later, the heart was healed completely. No surgery, no cutting, no prodding, no medication. Why? (laughs) Be careful before you complicate what cannot be measured. In regards to dysfunctional homes, sometimes we believe that the Bible characters, patriarchs and matriarchs, had it all together, but... They did not have it all together. In fact, Isaac played favorites with his sons. He loved Esau and at the very least disregarded Jacob. Isaac was so endeared to his own mother that the Bible says that he dwelled in her tents long after she passed. It was a clear sign of dysfunctionality. And when the time came for Isaac to pass down blessings, Jacob stepped in and received the blessings before Esau, his brother, could arrive. Isaac spoke the blessings over Jacob and left nothing for Esau, to which Esau cried aloud, is there nothing left for me? But even though Jacob took the brunt of the deception, it was his mother, Rebekah, who planned, plotted, and executed the deception of her own husband. Isaac was going to give the birthright to Esau. He was the oldest, of course. The Bible described him as a hunter with hairy arms in the favor of his father. But Rebekah, along with Jacob, made the meal and told the lie and deceived Isaac, who was now very old and blind. Rebekah made the savory meat. Read it in your Bible, not Jacob. Rebekah put Esau's clothes on Jacob and arrayed his arms so they would feel like Esau's arms. And Jacob became the willing participant in a family coup. And when Isaac died, Jacob did the next best thing and ran for his life. Because as Solomon once wrote, a brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city. And their contentions are like the bars of a castle. Jacob is running for his life. Esau is a hunter after all. And Jacob, at the very least, feels like the prey. And the Bible's narratives leads us to an unsuspecting place which Jacob will call Bethel because Jacob has no spiritual intuition at all. He's fresh from deception. He's thinking about himself. And when he sees a vision of angels and the Lord on a ladder, ascending and descending, reaching up into the heavens, he makes the most self-incriminating remark by saying, the Lord was in this place and I knew it not. He's so spiritually insensitive that he can barely grasp the moment. He calls the place dreadful. He says that it was the house of God and the gate of heaven, all of which were mere words. They were shallow without any real understanding. And to add to his own immaturity, Jacob prays a prayer to which God does not reply. Jacob put one stone upon another and made a vow to God. And he said, and I read it to you. He said, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way, then I go will give me bread to eat, raiment to put on, so that I can come again to my father's house in peace. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give thee the tenth unto thee. Look how nice Jacob is to God. Look how good Jacob's going to be to God. He gives God a stone for a memorial, a pillar for a tabernacle, and a deal that God cannot refuse. God... If you give me food, 
Keep me safe as I travel. If you put clothes on my back, one day bring me back to my birthright so that I can be in peace and without harm. Then guess what I'm going to do for you, God? I'm going to give you a tithe, a tenth. And what did God do in response to all that? God kept Jacob in the way. God gave Jacob favor in everything he put his hands to do. He gave him favor. He gave him food and clothes and riches and blessing. God enlarged Jacob's territory and possessions so that he had no other choice but to return home. And God indeed brought him back to his father's house in peace. And why did God do all of that? It wasn't because Jacob gave God a tenth of all that he had. It wasn't because Jacob was full of integrity and honesty and purity because he had none of that. Why? Be careful today. Don't complicate the very thing that allowed you access into the inheritance. Think with me now. There is something about our human nature that provides a great gulf between us and God. Our measurements of life and actions, our measurements of past and present are mostly oblique. They're slanted because of our own limitation. Our thoughts are often developed through misguided paradigms and our premises are created through what we think is deserved. We see reward as a result of effort. We see the prize as the conclusion of achievement because that is the process of human recompense. But I declare to you in the midst of those compelling definitions is a greater truth and it hinges on the nature of God and my relationship to him more than what I have done. Oh man. Luke chapter 11. Jesus is trying to help the people because they love the motion of religion. He was dealing with a society that believed in spiritual hierarchy. The Pharisees were spiritually uh, made by design or designation. Everyone else was less than by default. They had thoughts of God and nobody knew God. Jesus will use this comparison contrast metaphor to uh, explicate the far reaches of God's love. He says, if a son shall ask bread of any one of you, that's a father. Will he give him a stone? If he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he ask you for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? Jesus was not pointing out our flaws, but he was drawing a distinction in nature. He was revealing the nature of God compared to our nature. And at our very best, compared to God, our nature is evil. But there is no way to describe how good God is. If you would give your son what he asked for, then the example here is that your heavenly father, your daddy who is in heaven, will give you more than you can ask for. And within the answer lies this great truth. The gift was never predicated on the virtue of the son. The gift wasn't determined because of the glowing attributes of the son. Jesus left out the merit of the seeker. He did not mention the worthiness of the one who asked for the bread, the food, or the gift. The gift was not based on the blamelessness or the character of the son. The gift was based upon the relationship of the goodness of the father. 
or as the psalmist wrote for the word of the Lord is right all his works are done in truth he loveth righteousness and judgment the earth is full of the goodness of the Lord every inch of it every square foot of it all the mountains and the valleys all the plains and the deserts all the skies and the oceans he's good God is good he's good because it's who he is he, he's good because it's who he is he does what he is he moves in the dimension of his own nature he produces the product of his own constitution God is good that's why we have blessings because he's good not based upon our merits not based upon our attributes not based upon our talents not because we had effort not because of our achievement but just because he's good David wrote in Psalm 34 that we should taste of his goodness. Ah, put it in your mouth. Savor the moment. Chew slowly. Peter wrote the same thing in his self-titled book. Moses said in Exodus 33 that his goodness leads the way of his life. Things could be bad, but his goodness is leading the way. James said that he promoted truth, that anything that was ever good comes down from the Father of lights. There is nothing that ever came to you that didn't that was good that didn't come from God. Paul followed up 1 Timothy 4 4 by saying everything God creates is good. And Asaph wrote in the psalm, he said, I was in trouble. My feet were slipping out from beneath me. I was jealous of the arrogant man. I was angry that the wicked were prospering. He said, I saw how they were living and it caused me pain. But after all was said and done, Asaph wrote, but God is good. Nahum the prophet wrote that God's goodness is a stronghold. Even in the day of trouble and both the Bible and the witnesses of the saints declare the same and I stand to declare it today God is good he's not just good when you are good he's not good when you deserve it and for that matter, who could deserve the goodness of God? But he's good even when you don't think he's good. <laughs> Children of Israel walking out of Egypt, laden down with the gold and silver clothes, silks and furnishings of their captors. They're having a tough time breaking out. Oh yes, their bodies are removed from that four century old massacre of the flesh. But their minds are trapped in fear. Physically, they are free, but mentally they are bound. And when they come to the Red Sea, it's apparent to them that Moses had misled them. So they murmured, complained. Behind them are the armies of Egypt, and in front of them are the raging waters of the Red Sea. And in a moment, they changed their thoughts from God's goodness to Moses' failure. Surely God would not send them out here, free them only to see them die in this place. Look how easy it is to cast a judgment upon these people. We do it all the time, but when we are when we are in our own trouble, we are not that different from them. It's common to panic when you're facing a major trial. They were set free, but then they're caught again. They believe that Moses had led them to a place of death. But if you read the scripture, God led them to the Red Sea for at least two reasons. All of which is because he's good. I'll read it to you. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near, 
For God said, lest pre-adventure the people repent when they see war and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about the long way through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. The land of the Philistines was the quicker route. But God knew that the people were not ready for battle. It was the goodness of God that brought them to those waters. First, because the easier route would have led them into a battle that they would have surely lost. The goodness of God will keep you from battles that you cannot possibly win. It will keep you from fights and fighting fights that will destroy your soul and whatever faith you have left. It's the goodness of God that have kept you from things you never even saw. You never even knew they were coming. I stand here to declare to you there's a reality that you are not living today because God kept you from things you never knew were in your path. But he led you a different way just to save you because he's good to you. I'm going to tell you what God will do. He'll put you on a bypass just to save your strength. He'll take you the long way just to get you to heaven. Because you are temporal. I am temporal. I like to feel good for the moment. But the Lord knows all things. He wrote the beginning of your faith. And he's the finisher of your faith. And he's so good you cannot even measure it. You can measure the circumference of all the known galaxies. And then multiply the length by itself. And then do that until infinity comes. Hear me. The long and lonely weary road that leads you into an impossible situation. And keeps you from the wickedness that will consume you. Is nothing less than the goodness of God. And he brought them the long way around by a desert road. No water, no comfort, being hot, long, uncomfortable. But because those things were better than the Philistines. But the people never knew because they never saw the Philistines. So they assumed that things were bad because they couldn't see what God kept them from. Their premise of reward was distorted just like their premise of judgment. Because God did not lead them that way. And they made their assumption of God's goodness based upon the premise of where they stood and not what could have been. They took the long way around, the desert way, the dry way, the monotonous way, and it ended at the body of a water that looked like they were stuck between one rock and a hard place. But the truth is, none of them died at the Red Sea, save the enemy. No one drowned in the waters, save the enemy. No one lost their families or their lives or their possessions, save the enemy. They didn't even lose one single cart. Not one wheel got stuck in the mud as they crossed between the waters because God made the bed of the Red Sea dry as if there had never been one drop of water in that place for his existence. But they didn't see it. They couldn't see it because like most of us, they only saw the reality of the present moment. He kept them from failure. He kept them from loss but they saw their moment and not his mercy here pastor today he brought them by the way of the Red Sea because they would have been defeated by the Philistines and he brought them by the way of the Red Sea because he wanted to wipe out their enemy and you might not have thought he was good at the time but he kept you and he wanted to wipe out all the stuff and all the junk that you were going through so he put you in the way that you needed him here pastor today God's goodness is so profound and it's never evolving. God's not evolving. In fact, he's not better today than he was yesterday. He's not getting better. He's not gaining ground. 
He's not more patient today than he was yesterday. He's not more merciful today than he was yesterday. He's not more forgiving today than he was yesterday. We might have found him better, but he is what he has always been. He is the I am, which also contains the immutable quality. God is good. He's always been good. He's good today. He was good yesterday. And as long as you live, God is going to be good to you. God was good to Joseph when God brought Joseph through those 13 years of prison and abandonment. When he was sold off into slavery, Joseph learned more in prison than he would ever learn in his daddy's house. Joseph needed an education to lead a nation that could only be attained by succeeding in a place with no possibility of promotion. Because God was good. God was good to David when he let him wander in a wilderness place as Saul was chasing him like a dog through the hills and mountains. David learned leadership and respect for authority, even Saul's authority. It was there in the wilderness and the caves that David learned how to treat men who were anointed even when they were wrong. And those lessons lasted the length of David's life. And it appears, it appears, that David wrote Psalm 27 in one of those caves. He said, The Lord is my light. He's my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, came upon me and eat of my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war should rise against me. In this will I be confident. One thing, I desire this. If I could just get back to the house of the Lord. I seek the house of the Lord all the days. I want to learn there. I want to behold his beauty for in the time of trouble. He'll hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle. My head shall be lifted up. My enemies will, will, will cower down. I'll offer this in his sacrifice. The sacrifice of joy in his tabernacle. Here now. Verse 9. Hide not thy face from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. In verse 10. My father and mother forsake me. Then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord. Help me to lead in a plain path because of my enemies deliver me not into the will of my enemies for false witnesses are risen up against me and such as breathe out cruelty and then he paused to say I had fainted I needed to know unless I believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living I would have I would have been done but I knew God was good I would have been over but I knew God was good I was struggling but I knew God was good everything was wrong but I knew God was good I was a but had no position but God was good I lost everybody but God was good I'm going to tell you right now unless you believe fully believe that God's good you're going to be crushed beneath the weight of your situation but I rise to say today he's good he's good he's good And the scripture is filled with stories, all of them supporting and enacting, sustained by the goodness of the Lord. And the mystery is that I must pray and seek God's face. I'm commanded to do so. The mystery is that I must repent. That Jesus said that I must be baptized, be born again. But in the end, my prayers are minimal. He wants me to call on him. He told me that. But I don't do it by virtue of my knowledge of him. Even that 
is inept. I'm commanded to lay hands on the sick and they will recover. But there is no intrinsic goodness in my hands. It's all Him. I'm called to preach the gospel, but my voice is also weak compared to the call of the Holy Spirit. It's all Jesus. If anything is right, it's all Jesus. If there's any benefit that comes from our time in the church, it's all Jesus. If there are any saved, it's all because of his grace and his mercy. Not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And I have an answer. For the minister who prayed for the kidneys and not the heart, though the heart was healed when he prayed for the kidneys. I'll tell you why. It's because God's good. Hold on, all of you prayer warriors, before you announce that you laid hands on somebody and you healed them. You did that? With all of your flaws and faithlessness, with all of your limitations and ego and pride and fleshly moments, you did that? Really? No, I'm going to tell you what you did. You just simply obeyed the Lord the best you could be as a conduit. I'm going to tell you, if you're ever blessed by the preaching, I had nothing to do with it. In fact, the best I could do was get out of the way. I'm nothing more and you're nothing more than a PVC pipe. I got to be unclogged. I got to get everything out because if God's going to do a work in this house, we got to remove flesh. And the best we can do is get out of the way. The reason why we are blessed is because he's good. It's not because of intelligence. It's because he's good. Ah, you ought to clap your hands unto the Lord. Hey. Hear me. If God could use a donkey to speak to Balaam, he can use anything. Don't get puffed up and prideful if you think that God has chosen you as the, as the voice or the oracle or as the only one. He can use a baby. He can use a sinner. He can use a donkey. And he can use you. Just be thankful that you can be used. You didn't do it. God did it. Hear me? Because if you could do it, you would heal everybody. But it is under the anointing and the function of the Holy Spirit that he allows us access. Because he's good. Because he's good. Uh, Peter didn't get this right. He, he got this wrong a lot in his life. But I think after his denial, after he fell flat on his face and did what he declared he would never do. After he told the Lord, I'll never deny you. And then swore a solemn oath that he never knew the Lord. There was a little growing up. Maybe the best thing you could ever do is to fall flat on your face. Make a big fool of yourself. Then when you get up, you won't get up so high. <laughs> when you stand up, you won't stand up so straight. You just keep your head down say, he's a good God. Finally, Peter got a little maturity under his belt. And when something great happened and he was put in front of all the, all the Pharisees, Peter lifted up his voice. Now he's filled with the Holy Ghost and not filled with flesh. And he said unto them, ye rulers of the people, Acts 4, and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole. Watch it. Peter didn't say, we've been with the Lord for a long time. We've been working for the Lord for a long time. We were all, we were all in with the Lord for three and a half years. 
Spirit. He didn't say that. He said, be it known unto all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him, does this man stand here before you whole? We had nothing really to do with it. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to lay hands on somebody. And we're going to believe that you're going to be healed. But don't think that my hand has the power. My hand is only acting out of obedience to the word. And if my hand and my mouth and my spirit can just become obedient to the word, then God can do what he always wanted to do in the first place. Because that's who he is. I have an answer why Jacob was clothed, kept, prospered, brought back to his father's house. I have an answer for you. Don't overcomplicate something that cannot be measured. Don't overcomplicate the very thing that gave you the inheritance in the first place. Don't think too hard. Don't try to evaluate yourself. I'll tell you why. Because God is good. I'd rather be the short way or the long way. The dry road or the path of plenty. God is still good. He doesn't... mm, he doesn't take a breakness, a break rather, from his goodness. There's no activity in your life that is void of his goodness. You cannot separate him from his goodness. Even in death, he's good. All of the time, he's good. In every place, he's good. At every juncture, for all of his children, he's good. He's good even when you can't see, he's good. He's good even when you don't know that he's good. (laughs) He's good when we should have been crushed and cast aside. He kept you and he's good. Because he didn't give us what we really and rightfully deserved. Or as the scripture said in poetic form... It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Somebody ought to say the last few words. Great is thy faithfulness. He's good when you're not looking. He's good. He's good even when you don't give him credit for being good. He's good in the morning. He's good today. He's going to be good tonight. He's going to be the same good God tomorrow. He's good. When you sit down to eat your dinner, he's been good to you. When you make it to your home and close the doors and look around at what you have, little or much, God's been good to you. If you've graduated or you had to start over, he's good to you. If you received a raise or you got demoted, God was good to you. If you kept your job, found a new one, lost your job, or you're in transition, God is good to you. If you had a positive report from the doctor or the results are not in your favor, God is good to you. The fact that you're able to physically get to this house Today, God was good to you. It was all because God was good. Hear it, no matter the path, He's always been good to you. I'm gonna tell you how good God been God's been to you because He loved you so much that even when you were a sinner, He was dying for you before you ever knew Him. He was good to you. Without the immutable attribute, that specific immutable attribute cannot change, cannot be altered. We would have all perished long ago, but his goodness kept us alive. 
His goodness guided us into, into the storm and out of the storm. And it's all because he's been working for us. His goodness has redirected our path and given us hope and peace and love and a sound mind. And even when we have trouble, here's what the Bible says. There have no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with every temptation make a way of escape that ye may able to bear it. He's good to you. What burdens me is that the church becomes immune to his goodness. What burdens me is that after God's been good for so long, we forgot how good God is. That's why, notoriously, always, it seems always this way, that anyone who just found the Lord or has begun to worship the Lord for the first time or been baptized with the Spirit for the first time, something is in them, it's about them because they're so fresh from coming from all that life of turmoil, not having the Lord, they worship a little different. They clap a little harder. They yearn. They sit on the edge of their seat. They don't fold their hands. They're eager to come to the house of God. Why are they eager? Because they know. They remember it's fresh in their minds. God was good to me. That's why I got here. One of the ladies that attend this church not often who has a lot of struggles. I talked to her this week. I spoke to her face to face and she said to me, Pastor, I got to tell you something. A car pulled out in front of me. I slammed on the brakes. It was the oddest thing. She said the car stopped my car stopped and the other one went forward and then after it went forward it slid the rest of the way how could that be she said how could it be I've never seen anything like that before she said my car stopped the other car went and then I slid the rest of the way then the brakes locked up the rest of the way it was a pause and a slide a pause and a slide she said, I should have, I should have been to the hospital today. I, I, I should have, something should have happened to me, but God did something. Why, why is that? I said, I looked at her. I said, God's good. Cause he's good. Yeah, but, I, yeah, but I, my life is not together. Yeah, but I, I'm not faithful like I should be. I got a lot of hangups. It doesn't matter. He's good. He's not better to the people that have been serving him all of their life. He didn't say, man, I'm so glad you've been giving me your tenth. I'm glad that you put up some stones and you got some sheetrock on the wall. Guess what I'm going to do for you? I'm going to tell you, he's good. Whatever your efforts are, he's good. The difference is not how good he's been. The difference is if we recognize it. I'm looking around this building right now. I'm going to tell you there's several of you right here. You ought not even be here in this building today. 
You ought not to be sitting in this building today. You ought to be strung out. You ought to be, you ought to be washed up. Some of you ought to be drowning in secularism. Some of you ought to just be lost in business concepts and ideas. Some of you ought not even come to church anymore because you didn't church at all because you were so in, in, enamored with making money. You didn't care about anything. Hear me. Some of you ought not even have a family. Some of you ought not even be, be in the church. Why? It wasn't because you were so good and intellectual and talented because God was good to you I want to tell you I can't I've lost count of how many people at new life are working in jobs that require a degree that they do not have The number is growing every month. You are receiving promotions into positions that require degrees and education prowess that you do not have. You don't have the diploma. But when Jesus resurrected from the grave and appeared to his disciples, he didn't use the front door, the side door, or the window. The Bible says he walked through the wall. The Lord doesn't need a door to put you in the room. He doesn't need a man-made access to give you the promotion or the possibility. Why did he do it? I'll tell you why he did it. Why he did it? Because that's his immutable attribute. I'm going to tell you why you're here today. Because God's good. You lose that idea. You forget that fact. I'll tell you what you'll, you'll become. Disgruntled. You'll murmur. You'll talk about all everything that's wrong. You'll get in the middle of your problem. Say, brother, there's a lot of problems back there. There's a lot of problems in front. I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm going to tell you. You ought to just thank God that he puts you in the middle of the struggle. Because it could be that in the middle of your struggle, he's going to wipe out something you've been dealing with for a long time. And he might have just kept you from a battle you could not possibly win by yourself. Terry Borden had a stroke. And he should have been incapacitated and not be able to move his body. And he went... And he went to work and had a stroke at work. And they brought him to the hospital. And we all prayed. But before we even got there, God went ahead of him. And Terry Borden, I'm standing here to say, God been good to you. Maybe not everybody knows it, but there could be a different life you're living today. But God was good to you. I don't want to move past it. Hear me, Terry. There's a lot of things that could have happened to you, but the hand of the Lord was upon you, and he was good to you. I want you to forget human reliance. Because if you fail every time, or if you succeed, it's your relationship to your father that enables you to have the good gift. Do you think that my kids deserve what they have? I will tell you the answer to that. Let me just give you the short answer. No way, Jose. When they tell me how much they've done and what they need, 
I just revert back to the old song. Get on the bus, Gus. Find a new plan, Stan. You don't have to be coy, Roy. You don't deserve a bedroom or clothes or food or a house. You don't deserve to get in the car. You don't deserve to come to church. You didn't do anything to deserve any of that. I'm going to tell you, before you ever came out of your mama's womb, we were preparing for you. And while you got here, we were helping you. Hear me. We didn't, they didn't do anything to deserve the love and the adoration and the comfort and the security just like us. We did not deserve it, but God did it for us. And if you've ever been blessed, it's because the Lord gave you the blessing. He did it for you and you didn't. Did not deserve it. Hey, I want you to be devoted to the Bible and I want you to have a life of prayer. I want you to fast from time to time and I want you to read the word and I want you to come to church. But stop waving your religious prowess or your religious standing before God. He's good no matter what level you are. Please stand with me now. I'm almost done. Now, you know what I want to sing, don't you? Something along that line. Because <laughs> it's not your intelligence. I'm not smart enough. To be blessed, I'm not smart enough. Aptness at logical assumptions, no. Not talented enough to be anointed. Don't have enough insight to the world. I don't have enough insight into the things of God to reveal the whole mystery of God. <laughs> Combine all the cumulative knowledge of every theologian that ever existed. And they're all still looking through a glass darkly. Entire lives wrapped in a cloudy mix of God's wonder. I can't fathom how God would even put all of us together in this one building here. Or that he would baptize people with his spirit. Or that he would give us access to love. Or that he would show us how to be kind. Do you think you learned that by yourself? <laughs> you didn't learn that by yourself. Your natural instinct is to lie. Oh. <clears throat> I didn't teach my children to lie. That was the, one of the first things they did. Somebody had $5. Where'd my $5 go? No. Did you get it? Take it? No. Do you know where that's at? No. Take it off the dresser? No. <clears throat> well, what's in your wallet? Oh, you mean this $5? <laughs> that's a real story. <laughs> oh, you mean this one? I thought the other one with the other serial number on it. <clears throat> mm -hmm. You were born into sin. You're molded in iniquity. You started out a sinner. I know the babies are innocent. 
their first function is to do wrong. <laughs> they have a lasting impression of a forbidden fruit that's imprinted on their brain, yours and mine. God was good. We don't know why he does what he does, but we do know he's working it all out for our good. The whole earth is filled with the goodness of the Lord. I end with these words from the psalmist, Psalm 25. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindness. They've been around forever. (laughs) Since the beginning. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions, but according to thy mercy, remember thou me, not because of me. But help me for your goodness sake. Would you help me, Lord, just because you're good? Could you remember that you're good to me? I want to. I want to spread it out. I want to. I'd like to get a, a, a tape and and measure it. I can't measure this blessing of God in your life. Uh, uh. Here's what I'd like you to do for a moment. All that would like to. I want you to pray for the need you've been praying for. Maybe it's not answered yet. And I want you to ask God, would you do this thing, Lord, because you're good? If you need help in your life, just lift your hand right now and just say, Lord, I need help. And would you help me because you're good? Would you make the way because you're good? Would you remember me for your goodness sake? Would you... Lord, I've got some lonely places. I've got some hurting things. I've got some children that are not doing right. But would you help me because you're good? It's your nature, Lord, to do good to me. Remember your own nature in my life. I've got to have it. Come on, bring all of your all of your issues, all of your failures to the Lord. He already knows it. Bring all of your problems to the Lord and lift up your hands and just say, Lord, for your goodness and for your mercy. Restore me, Lord, not because of me, but remember who you are, Lord. He'll restore your life because he's good to you. He wants to do it here even this day. He'll heal your body because he's good to you. 
he'll give you hope because he's good to you.